0: This is Katie Prejean-McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. When I was in college, um, one of the girls that lived on my dorm floor, Chelsea, uh, came up to me in the lounge of the Catherine Hall dorm, and said, "Hey, I have a question for you." And that's kind of an odd way to sometimes begin a conversation because you're not quite sure has something gone wrong. What What have I done? I didn't have a guilty conscience, but it was still kind of an odd way to start the conversation. And and she said, "So, um, I just I have some questions about Catholicism." It's a pretty loaded way to start a conversation. And I said, "Okay." Um, I mean, I'm no expert. I was not a declared theology major yet, though I think both I and the Lord knew that that was always eventually going to happen. She said, "Well, I just I have some questions. I was in the chapel the other day, and I I why is there a little red light next to the tabernacle?" So I told her, "Oh, well, it's just an indication that the, the presence of of God is is here, um, a reminder that that the Blessed Sacrament is inside the tabernacle." and, and A reminder to genuflect and and to, to call our attention that this is not just some golden box, but that someone is within it. Okay, she said. And why are there candles lit next to the podium and on top of the altar? So I explained the candles, and she asked another couple questions about statues. Why Mary holding baby Jesus? Why that particular saint? They were all wonderful questions, but I noticed something. They were all kind of centered around physical things in the church that she had seen before but didn't have necessarily vocabulary for or she'd seen before but but wanted to know more about why they were there. What was the point? I think this is um, the experience of a lot of non-Catholics, that there's so much stuff within our church, from the pointy hat that the bishop wears, all the way down to the red shoes of the pope, and everything in between, from iconography and statues and and candles and incense, from things that are historically significant to very small, minute things that we would never even think of as having value or meaning, and yet tell a remarkable story behind our church. The stuff of our faith matters. It mattered enough and piqued the curiosity enough of this young lady that eventually she converted to Catholicism. Fascinated by the things she was seeing and learning in the theology classes at the University of Dallas, she eventually made the jump, crossed the Tiber, as they say, and joined the Roman Catholic Church. And I think she would happily say, as she's told me many times, that part of it was learning so much, so quickly, about the stuff of our faith. That's what we're talking about today on this second episode of the Ave Explores Art and Architecture Season of the show. We're talking to a a man who knows the stuff of our faith very well, Mike Aquilina, a speaker, an author, a husband, dad. He travels the world, he writes about church history, a man utterly fascinated by the things that we have in our church. And Mike does a fantastic job of guiding us through. Not only what some of those things, especially ones that we recognize and would know by name, what they mean and what they are, but why they matter. Why why the stuff that surrounds us in our churches, the stuff that we put on our homes, the rosaries that we carry in our pockets, why these things and these places help us not only be better Catholics, but understand what it means to be Catholic. And perhaps be proud of that. I... Remember thinking the way that Chelsea started that conversation was a little odd. I have some questions for you. I need to ask you something. I want to ask you about Catholicism. And then the first thing she went to was a candle. Why is there a light? And she wanted to know about statues. She wanted to know about things that she could see. Because things, material things, are important. Material things, especially within the church, lead us to a contemplation of divine things the material things surrounding us in our churches, lead us to an understanding of the ethereal things far beyond this physical world. And so I think today this conversation with Mike will help us all maybe pay attention a little more to what's surrounding us, learn quite a lot about the history of our church, and come to a greater appreciation of the stuff of our faith. Not just because it's nice to have stuff, but because the stuff has great meaning. Just as a friendly reminder, The new Ave Explorer series on art and architecture is beginning today, the day that this episode is dropping, April the 15th. We're starting the series today on a Wednesday because we wanted to coincide with today the date, not just tax day, but because today marks the one-year anniversary of uh, the burning of the Cathedral of Notre Dame in Paris. Many of us remember this fateful moment a year ago as people watched in horror as this magnificent cathedral, so well-known both by name and by sight, burned. We remember the heroic story of the priest who ran inside to save the Blessed Sacrament. We remember the, the photos that started to emerge of the cross in the background, still standing amidst the smoke and the debris. And, of course, the restoration that's happening now, there's a link down in the show notes to the veneration of the crown of thorns that happens every year at Notre Dame. Um, And it's a a bit surreal to watch because there's this veneration happening, and then the choir that's singing are wearing hazmat suits because of the current COVID-19 crisis. So so Notre Dame is an icon within the life of the church and something that we visibly look to, a place where there are lots of things that matter. And so we're launching the series today on art and architecture to commemorate this one year anniversary, to call our mind upwards to think about this, this gorgeous cathedral and what it means and why it matters that it should be restored. If you want all of that wonderful content that we have created for the next four weeks, go to AveMariaPress.com. There's a banner right at the top. You can click it, find the articles for week one, the videos for week one, and give us your email, and you'll get all the rest of the content straight to your inbox um, so you don't miss anything. Of course, today, you will hopefully not miss this wonderful episode with Mike Aquilina. So sit back and enjoy a conversation about the stuff of our faith. Well, Mike, thanks so much for, for joining us on the Ave Explorer Show.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm a big fan of your work and your writing, um, and I'm, I'm really excited to, to talk to you today about the work you've done for Ave and just your work in general. So the way I always ask it to our guests, if we got stuck in an elevator for 10 minutes, what would I <laughs> learn about you in that time?
1: Oh, goodness. I don't know. There's not much to learn. I, I, I'm a guy who pretty much sits in my room all day and stares into a computer screen, screen and types. Um, I'm a, I'm 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 a writer uh, by profession. I've been doing this, I guess, for 30 um, some years now. And uh, and my special area of interest is the early church. Uh, um, uh, I love what I do. Uh, I don't know what what more I can say. I I, I get to 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 spend my days writing about history, which I love, and specifically the history of the Catholic faith, which I love. Yeah. So, uh, so there you go.
0: <laughs> what was the, what, why that? Why the early church? Was that what you went to school to do initially? I mean, was that a later in life excitement that, that came into your life?
1: Well, I think I've always been interested in the ancient world. And when I was a kid, I wanted to be an archaeologist because I imagined that what archaeologists do is go to these places and put a shovel into the ground, and then they find all kinds of things made of gold. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then I got older, and I found out that what archaeologists actually do is is sit there with a toothpick and a toothbrush and <laughs> and, and, and scrape off uninteresting things all day. You know, yeah. it's a, it, it wasn't so interesting. But then I, I, uh, I discovered that you can read these documents of early Christianity and it's just like putting a shovel into the ground and making new discoveries. So few people today know anything about Melito of Sardis and he's a fascinating figure. So few people know anything about Minucius Felix. They never heard these names, but these are fascinating men who were stunning writers and they have something to tell us in our own time. So when I discovered the writers of early Christianity, I just, you know, uh, you know, to steal a, a phrase from Toy Story 2, I found my moving buddy, you know, <laughs> uh, and, 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 uh, and I was ready, you know, I was, I'm, I'm kind of a nerd. I like to read books and, and, uh, I'm i an, I'm a history buff. So, so, so I kind of fell into, into that groove. I, I've been writing for a living, as I said, for more than 30 years. Um, gradually, uh, uh, I, I mean, I've worked in the, I've worked in advertising, I've worked in marketing, I've worked in the tech field, and, um, and God just gave me very strange opportunities for moving into, into this field in particular, which is my field of fascination.
0: Yeah, it's it's a, a joy that you get to do what you love, pay the bills, but also excite people about the early church. I know you lead pilgrimages around the world and, and share yeah. that information with people. Um, and, and you mentioned, so archaeologists would go to places and look for things. Where are some of the places that your work has led you that have really inspired you want to continue to do this, or you want to write a new book, or this particular place, or church, or space has um, has given you renewed passion for your faith.
1: Oh my! Well, uh, my work has taken me to a lot of interesting places. You know, the archaeological digs that I talked about—I I ended up visiting there anyway, uh, and I I, I I can I can uh, go down into the digs after everybody's done all the work. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I love um, I love. Turkey and Greece and uh, and Israel. And my work has brought me to all of those places. But the place I love best of all is Ostia Antica, which is a national park, um, just a short train ride from the city of Rome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ostia Antica is really a fifth century ghost town. Uh, it's It was the harbor town for ancient Rome, but gradually as Rome declined as a city, uh, it lost the ability to dredge the harbor. So the ocean moved further out. Ostia became an insignificant place, uh, compared to what it had been. Uh, and, uh, and now, uh, what, what's happened in the last couple of decades is they've, they've dragged the old city out of the swamp. Mm. And so it's standing there and you can walk through the streets and you can visit the tavern. Of course, it's not a tavern anymore. It's a ruin, (laughs) but you can visit the amphitheater. You can visit the baths and you can, you can walk in that world where the fathers lived literally, Mm-hmm. This is the place that's the setting of Minutius Felix's only surviving work. It's the place, the very place where Augustine said farewell to his mother as mm-hmm. she died. This is the place. So so I love going there. And um, it's been the distinct privilege uh, I've had to attend mass in the ruins of the ancient basilica there. Mm-hmm. Uh twice i believe maybe three times uh when when i went with a friend of mine and we just kind of occupied the place yeah and and he celebrated mass there a priest friend of mine so uh it's it's been um that for me is my favorite place to worship on the earth because i know that saint augustine was there and Saint augustine attended mass there that saint monica was there saint monica attended mass there Mm -hmm. and i'm in that place uh that, to me, is such a connection. That is probably my favorite place
0: yeah.
1: on earth where I've worshipped.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're sacramental people, so, so place yes. is important. I mean, where things happen. I'm, as you were talking, I was brought back to um, the, the lower church where St. Cecilia is buried, her home. Yeah. And she was my confirmation saint, so I got to go to a private mass there with a priest when I studied mm-hmm. in Rome in 2008. And just remember standing there weeping at her tomb, oh, receiving yeah. communion, thinking she did the same thing right here right like she did she she hosted dinner in that room and then she came over here and had mass and and it's just there's something profound yes for the person who's listening to this who can't go there or who hasn't been to rome or is you know the church that they visit is is the modern church from the 60s (laughs) down the street from their house but is home nonetheless that works for me absolutely right like the church my husband and i got married in is a a smack dab 1970s church and we love it and and yeah. sure it doesn't have the stained glass or the dome of saint peter's but it's home to us yeah. um how can catholics better appreciate the places and spaces in which we worship what are the, some of the things that we should know about these places
1: well uh Learn that that every church tells the story of the faith, that there's a reason why the churches are laid out the way they are. There's a meaning to every one of these little uh, decorations and doodads that we find in the church, and we can learn those meanings. There are good books about this. Um, uh, Get your hands on one of those and self-educate. Learn what the church means and learn how the church tells the story of the faith and enter into that story. The best way to appreciate Catholic things is to begin to be more Catholic and then just pursue that. Decide you're going to pursue that. You don't have to be crazy ambitious. Don't try to learn everything in a month, but, you know, give yourself, um, a reading plan that's, that's, that's manageable uh, so that you're reading five ten minutes a day. And over the course of a year, you're going to see a difference in the way you appreciate the things around you when you go to church.
0: Yeah. Yeah. My husband, when he first moved to Louisiana, he went to church at our parish and he wanted to go to confession. And so I showed him where the confessional was and he sat down and he went in and then he came out and he said, did you ever realize that the baptismal font is directly across from the entrance and exit to the confessional? I said, no, that's just where the baptismal font is. (laughs) He's like, you don't think there's some meaning there behind, you know, like cleansed in the waters, then you're cleansed in there and you come out. I was like, I mean, maybe, but I've I've gone to this church my whole life. I've got a degree in theology. That had never occurred to me. And then now I can't, Look at it without thinking of that. So, so you're absolutely right. Once you start to learn those little things, you and your daughter wrote a book about those little things. Yeah, uh, it was a perfect segue. And I, I want to get the name of it right. It sits on my on my desk, and I often reference it. A History of the Church in a Hundred ob- Objects. What, what was the? I mean, were y'all just sitting around the dining room table one day thinking, "There's a lot of stuff that people don't know. What's the story behind this book?"
1: No, and I can't take credit for that. Um, <laughs> the the BBC did a did a, a series called A History of, of the world in oh, okay. 100 objects. And, uh, and so that inspired a lot of knockoffs. You know, there's a history of the civil war in 100 objects. I think there's a history of Portland, Oregon, in 100 objects. <laughs> Don't write objects. So a history about anything. <laughs> there were a lot of imitations here, but Tom Grady, uh, who's a publisher at Ave Maria, um, got the idea that there should be a history of the church in 100 objects. And he asked me to write it. Um, I, I was really busy at the time, but I really wanted to do yeah. it, so I said, "I'll tell you what. If I could do it with my daughter, I'll do it, and uh, and we'll work together." My daughter was working at, at a library at the time, so she was able to do a lot of the the heavy research mm-hmm. and uh, and some of the drafting of of individual chapters, and uh, and it was great. It was it was a it was a time when the two of us could have in depth conversations about the history of the church and the meaning of these events and what. The particular object should be that exemplified those those events. Um, so we we just had a blast doing it, but it, I have to give Tom credit for the idea.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, he's a, It was his idea to do this series on art and architecture and take it in the direction that we've done. So, um, he's hats off to Tom for sure. I'm sure he'll be oh, yeah. listening to this episode at some point. But, you know, the the story goes. The book goes through like the story of the church, the history of the church, getting with the early church, coming all the way to today. In some sense, yeah. Um, and there's chapters that jump out. The the one I want to talk about first is about um the chains of St Peter which are in Rome mm-hmm. we have them we can go pray at them we can contemplate and think about how St Peter died and how he was imprisoned tell us a little bit about those those chains we're of course going to link to the book in the show notes so people can go buy it but but give us the mic rundown of the chains <laughs> of St Peter
1: well, they 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 reside today in uh, the Church of Saint Peter in Chains, uh, which is not far from the Colosseum. It's a quick walk from the Colosseum, um, and and uh, so you can go up there and you can you can view the the chains. Um, mm-hmm. What's interesting about that particular item is that. Um, is that you can actually uh, trace the provenance of it pretty closely. That there, there's a lot of documentary evidence for for the existence of those chains and for the veneration of those chains, and even for the location of those chains through the time of persecution. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, And we don't have that kind of provenance for a lot of items. But for these, we do. Um, you know, at the time, the church was operating underground for the most part. Uh, on and off, there were these times of intense persecution. Um, so, so what this uh, represents for us today is uh, is um, is this idea of the church going into the heart of society. Really, Saint Peter going from Jerusalem all the way across land and sea till he gets to Rome, because it's the capital of the world. Mm -hmm. It's the capital of the empire. And it really shows um, symbolically a kind of conquest. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's not conquest in the way the world usually thinks of conquest. It's the conquest of Peter in chains. You know, Peter consecrated the city of Rome, not through military might, but through his martyrdom. You know, through imprisonment, through his suffering and through his sorrow, Um, that's how he prepared the church that we live in today. Uh, So, yeah, that's a significant item in the history of the church and even of the world.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, he 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 wins the city of Rome. I mean, what is Rome known for now? Obviously, the ruins of the Roman Empire, but. St. Peter's Basilica, the hundreds and hundreds of churches you can go into and pray, the, the bumping into saints wherever you turn around. I mean, it's you can scream, hey, sister, and 30 nuns will turn around at once. I mean, it is the center of Catholicism, and, and yes. these chains are, are a huge part of that. I, I remember going to the church. I was on a pilgrimage group in um, 2013 with some students. There's a pet store across the street. That's what they remembered was where we went to go see the Moses statue and the chains. There was a pet store right across the street, and they went in and bought prizes for their pets back home, but it was profound to get to kneel in front of them and to, yeah. to remember who came first and, and why we even have a church to this moment. That leads us then to obviously the the pride and joy, I would say, of Rome, St. Peter's Basilica. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we talked with Liz Lev in an episode about St. Peter's, and she gives us kind of this historical rundown I always like to ask people, where's your favorite spot in St. Peter's Basilica? Like, do you have a, a haunt or a corner or an image that you like to go to in there?
1: Oh, there are a few. There are a few. Wow. Uh, uh, and I have to pick one.
0: <laughs> yeah, Well, you can pick a few. That's fine. Some folks in, you know, listening to this probably haven't been before.
1: Um, you know, th- there's a there's a chapel off to the side. You know, if you're walking in, it's to the left and it's um, it's where St. Simon and Jude. Are, uh, are are reposed and so I always go over there uh, and, I, and I and I make my visit um, why is that because my son I don't know how or why but when he was very young he he acquired an intense devotion to Saint Jude Thaddeus I do know why mm-hmm. um, because Saint Jude helped him repair his computer when his computer was crashing wow this was this was back in the 90s impossible
0: causes yeah so
1: he 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 found this prayer to saint jude it just just happened to at that time he prayed it and he fixed his computer and he was he was a a little whiz kid he owns his own tech company now but he um he did that then and he wrote a book about Saint Jude when he was 12 years old and it got published.
0: Wow. So I have
1: a, a great devotion myself to Saint Jude as a result of that. And I always go and I visit him when I'm when I'm in town.
0: Yeah, first, and that's a great way to put it when we're in town because it's home. It's home for all Catholics, yeah, yeah. whether you've been once or you've been a thousand times. Mm-hmm. Y'all write about the Dome of St. Peter and as an object, maybe one of the largest objects you all talk about in the book. Tell us a little bit about the history of this iconic dome that is in portraits and photos and, and the background of people's phones. I mean, it's it, it, it's the image of Catholicism in a lot of different ways. Why a dome? What does it mean? Um, why do we care so much about it? Uh,
1: well, it is an image of Catholicism, and I think that's what it was intended to be. You know, uh, there, there, there were the bones of St. Peter buried there in a pagan cemetery, all right? And they were there until they were moved to the catacombs and then moved back and uh, Constantine built a, a, a church over the bones of St. Peter uh, that was modest when you compare it to the church that we have there today, which is one of the largest churches in the world, uh, if not the largest church in the world. Uh, so uh, what was going on in history at the time? Well, you saw that uh, there had been an, really an onslaught for centuries of, um, of Islam, uh, uh, you know, taking Christian countries one by one. And, and, and uh, while this was going on, they were, they were making, the, the Muslims were making incursions into Europe. And finally, they were turned back. But what the Pope wanted to do with this dome is to, is to, to make a statement about the might of Christianity and the greatness of St. Peter. Uh, and and so, so he built the biggest church in the world in order to make that statement. And, and for a long time, it remained unfinished. And for many, many great, great names in art and architecture tried to design uh, a dome to go on top of it. And this went on for, for many decades. Uh, and uh, And finally, it, it got its cap. Uh, it was a mighty thing. It's an architectural marvel. It's a technological marvel. It's an artistic marvel. And it makes a statement. It makes a statement not only about St. Peter. It honors him. And he should be honored. But it makes... Um, a statement about the church on which he's founded. Uh, it's 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 promotion of the arts and architecture and the sciences. It's all summed up in that image: the might of the Church of Saint Peter.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the church is not just some rinky-dink little thing. There are there's small things within our church, and then there's this huge thing that we see, that we look at. That I mean, you can't help but your, your jaw drops when you walk underneath it. I mean, you can't you can't help but be blown away.
1: Yeah, and most of the things in the book are not as big as St. Peter's Dome. They're a pistol, uh, a a fountain pen, a pair of shoes, uh, a pill, uh, you know, uh, all of these things, a mechanic's wrench, all of these little things that we handle every day and don't give a second thought to. But what we tried to do, what Grace and I tried to do in the book, is identify a story that really capsulized an era in Christian history, and then find an item within that story that that was an ordinary thing, maybe that was handled by one of the great saints or even by a common person that really summarizes in one image the story of of that era, the entire era. So we um, we managed to do that with uh, with a hundred,
0: yeah, hundred yeah.
1: episodes or or figures. It's or great, like or, I
0: said, it, it sits on my desk, and if I if I have a spare moment or I'm bored, that's what I go to because it's it's. As a history buff myself, love it. What's one of your favorite things in the book that maybe you know it's it's unknown? It was one of your favorite ones to write about.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know <laughs> I, I have a few, uh, but but I think my my favorite of them all is um, is the bookshelves of Saint Ignatius of Loyola. And why is that? It's chapter sixty three in the book. Uh, it's, it's way beyond my period. My period is, uh, is the early church and the modern church in which I grew up. Uh, but this is right smack in the middle. And, uh, and it's the story about the founder of the Jesuit. And and what I love about that story is that, um, is that here he was, he was laid up, essentially hospitalized in his sister's house. And the guy was addicted to romance novels, novels about, um, about military might and and adventures, swashbuckling uh, stories, right? He was addicted to these things. He was a soldier himself. And he was going batty because he had none of these to read in his sister's house. What did she have? You know what she had? She had Catholic books. Mm -hmm. And they weren't even high-toned Catholic books. You can see those books on the shelves today. What books were they? They were popular Catholic books put out for everyday believers uh, of an ordinary sort. Well, you know what? That's what I've spent my life, my adult life, writing books like that, that end up on shelves like hers, and I hope are reaching people like him who are going to be the great saints of the next generation, or two generations from now, or three generations from now, when those books are gathering dust on somebody's shelves. You know, uh, that that chapter writing that chapter was kind of inspiring for me, because it showed what could be the fate of of, of books I write as humble as they are. Uh, because the books on the on those shelves weren't the classics; they were kind of the the popular books of of that day.
0: Yeah. Well, in the same way that I'm sure an artist or an architect or a writer. We put something out into the world. We hope that it's fruitful for someone. Yeah. Um, You know, we cross our fingers that even just one soul would be touched by the work or the things we've said or the the things we've created. Um, And and I can can attest that the things you have written have deeply influenced me. So thank you for writing them.
1: Um, Well, you're very kind.
0: What do you have? uh, What art, what piece of art or what church um, moves you the most that that you love to pray with that you love to maybe you keep as the background of your computer from time to time. Do you have a favorite one? Is there something hanging in your house?
1: Wow. Well, uh, my my wife is a big fan of of our. She's a convert, and uh, so she comes from a fairly an iconic tradition. Yes. <laughs> so, so she's kind of covered our walls with with beautiful things. And I walk through my house, and to walk through my house is to pray because of the way she has it set up. Mm-hmm. Um, But I have to say there's no place I love so much as my parish church, which is Corpus Christi Parish, Holy Child Worship site in Bridgeville, Pennsylvania. Um, And and it's because it's been my home for these 30-some years now. And it's been the place where I've I've chased my children and and diapered my children and tried to concentrate ferociously (laughs) when when three of my kids were were picking on each other and, and making each other cry and that kind of thing it 's just home and it's got all the beautiful qualities of home um, uh, i I don't know if it's the most beautiful church in the world. it may be, but but it's just so important to me, and it's a place for me right now that's most conducive to prayer because e- every square inch of the place means something to me. Yeah because of a, a lifetime of attending there.
0: Yeah. yeah, it doesn't have to be St. Peter's in Notre Dame. It really can be home. Yes. Um, I mean, that's I, I, when we got engaged and we told everybody we were getting married at Queen of Heaven, quite a few people were like, not the cathedral? I'm like, <laughs> no, I mean, I love our cathedral. It, it's a beautiful church, but that's not yeah. where I was baptized. It's not where I received first communion. It's not home. Yeah, that's uh, where my parents got married because my mom's a convert too. And she went from never having anything to look at to always wanting to look at something. So <laughs> this church had lots to look at and that's where she wanted to get married. But, you know, it, it, it truly, I, I completely and totally agree. Sometimes our simple, humble home parishes give us the most beautiful things to contemplate, to look at. Mike, where can we find your work? Uh, the things you're doing, go on a pilgrimage with you? Where's all things, Mike, uh, on the internet?
1: Fathersofthechurch.com, fathersofthechurch.com. Okay, yeah, excellent. That's, that's right. And I also I also have the page on Facebook and um, and um, and you know I'm I'm generally available that way.
0: Great. Well, we'll put that in the show notes for sure. Thank you for taking the time today. We've I think all learned a lot. Um, and we're we're grateful for you.
1: Hey, thank you so
0: much for having me. Yeah, of course. Things matter. Stuff matters. Whether those things are in gorgeous cathedrals and basilicas that we can visit on pilgrimage or our home parish that we've gone to for 30 years, where we've raised our families, where we feel most comfortable, where we probably long to be in the midst of everything that's going on right now with this pandemic. I think Mike offered some great insights, and I think you would love the rest of the insights that so many of our, our contributors have offered in this whole series. You can go over to AveMariaPress.com to find the entire Ave Art and Architecture series. Uh, sign up to get the weekly emails straight to your inbox. We'd, of course, be grateful for a rating a review uh, on this show. It helps more folks find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. And all of the backlogged episodes are, of course, available over on the Ave Maria Press website. Stay tuned for more content coming uh, for this series in the coming weeks. Thanks for listening.